This episode is brought to you by Northern Rural Supplies. Northern Rural Supplies proudly service the Kimberley and Pilbara region, specialising in livestock sales, real estate, animal health and management, fencing, fertiliser, water and all other requirements. They stock your everyday needs to feed your dogs, cats, horses, chooks, camels and even goats. The whole team is based in Broome, so make sure you give them a call for all of your agricultural and semi-rural needs. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with my friend and former colleague, Claire Atkins. Since Claire has missed me so much since we both left our roles at the Department of Agriculture, and was so desperate for the chance to catch up and spend time with me, she agreed to do it over a podcast recording. In this episode, we chat about Claire's role as a stock inspector and what that actually is, because really, who knows what that means or what they even do. Claire discusses the responsibility of upholding WA's biosecurity laws and also the unexpected adventures that came with it. And finally, Claire shares how incredibly blessed and lucky she was to spend over a year working alongside me, in particular the 12-hour days that she spent in a car with me. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. Claire's pointing at something in the sky, but I'm not sure what it is. It's a satellite. Oh, is it moving? Yep. Mm, Which one is it? The one straight above. Oh, wow, it is too. Oh, well, there you go. And I was just going to say, if anybody can hear heavy breathing in this episode, uh, it's not me or Claire. It is any one of the many dogs which have just been hooning around the lawn. It's Steph's dog. Yeah, he's pretty much hooning and making intense eye contact with me. He's like, Mum, Mum, what are you doing? They have a very close bond. Yeah, <laughs> say besties, BFFs. So, Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Steph, under duress. Yeah. I'll have everyone know. Yeah, yeah. No, well, it's been a while. I think when I first started the podcast, like the first 30, 40 episodes, I pretty much described, introduced everyone as being there by, they were coerced somehow. I've got dirt on everyone. Do so. people do this willingly now? You've come there's a long that, way. There's been a few that have done this willingly. Surprise, surprise. I'm so. very proud of you. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, do you want to describe for our listeners where we are right now? So right now we are sitting on the banks of the Lower Ord River in the Kimberley. Specifically, we're at Frank Wise Institute, which is the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development uh, Research Station just out of Kununurra. 
I love that you just looked at me like, wait, what does D-pads stand for again? And you've only worked for them for about a million years. Yeah. Uh, I've also just spilt my Matsu's ginger beer down my top. Oh, because <laughs> it's sponsorship. A bit- <laughs> oh, yeah. Matsu's, if you're listening, yeah, would love a sponsor. That's probably the one sponsor I would let pay in product. That's the thing these days. Everyone's like, oh, can I sponsor you? And we'll just pay you on product. I'm like, mm, product doesn't pay the bills. But Matsu's, I'm sure we could work something out. People would want to be on the podcast Mate, if you had I Matsu's. I just bought a carton of Matsu's today for the first time since I left WA a year ago. And not only have they gotten smaller, now what's the deal? So we're in Kununurra and if something is available in a can, they have to sell the can version only, not the glass. I couldn't get Matzo's ginger beer in glass bottles. I had to get cans, which I don't know. I feel like it's like the poor version, but yeah. also the safer version because you can't glass someone. Yeah, you desensitize um, after a while. Yeah, and it's only three hundred and thirty mils. Is that? I, I feel like that cans are shrinking. Three seventy five is what we used is to what drink a can back of in co- the day. Yeah, it's what a can of Coke is. Um, where was I going with this story? Oh yeah, and it was a hundred bucks, hundred and three dollars. So for twenty four. So yeah, Matzo's. If you want to sponsor us, I probably would consider that. I think it tastes even sweeter up here in the Kimberley. It does. It does. So yeah. So we're in Kununurra. Did you say that bit? We are. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I mean, the sun has just set, but we are on yeah the banks of the lower Ord, and we actually just went down to a spot in the Ord River for family photos. Yeah, down near Buttons Crossing, a little secret spot. Other side of the river, up around a little bit long way where no one else knows. And watched the sunset. The dogs had a swim. No one got eaten by a crocodile. So that was a successful Thank afternoon. Thank gosh, because we were taking family photos. And I have public liability insurance, but it does not. Could you imagine if I had to ring up my insurance provider and was like, I need to make a claim. I'm being sued. Somebody got eaten by a croc. I feel like. All the premiums you pay in the world could not make them pay out on that. Yeah. They'd be like, mm, yeah, nah, brah. No. So, but we got some beautiful family photos. Yes. Nailed it. And here we are back at the research station. That's right. In a nice evening, cooling down a bit. Beautiful middle of the dry season. Well, tail end, but getting a nice taste of some middle of the dry season cool still. It is, yeah, it is kind of late August. So, yeah. oh no, yeah, it will be built up soon enough. Yep. Anyway, we've been, uh, talking we've been rambling for a few minutes anyway so we should probably probably get into the good stuff so do you want to tell people how we know each other and how you have been how you've come to be so blessed to have me in your life steph pursued me actively for years no not really (laughs) steph and i worked together in uh previous positions we both worked for Deeperd, as I mentioned before, which is WA's Department of Ag. And we worked for the Northern Beef Development Team. And we travelled over a fair bit of the Kimberley and the Pilbara together, exploring, meeting people. Changing tyres. Changing tyres. Singing to Disney songs. That's right. Picking rocks. Some good rocks out there. Did we really? Yep. You told me, you taught me what an intrusive dike was. I did because Jardine McDonald from Rangelands NRM taught me. So if anybody is driving around, I guess, well, anywhere in the Pilbara really, like there's a lot near like Karatha, but we saw some going down, not the Boreline Road, it's the other one that goes from kind of Port Headland to Marble Bar. Might be the Port Headland Marble Bar Road. Yeah, honestly, that's probably what it's called. <laughs> it's been a minute since I've been down there. But if you see, it kind of looks like somebody's got molasses and just drizzled it all on top of like these ranges and it just, you just got these dark 
like, but it's actually dark rocks, but it just looks like you've tipped chocolate sauce or molasses on top and it's just drizzled down. That is called an intrusive dyke. Very John Wayne-esque, you know, like the Wild West. Oh, I thought you meant the word. I was like, what does intrusive dyke have to do with John Wayne? The landscape, you know, like the red dirt and the tabletop hills of those intrusive dykes. John Wayne could ride up over the top of there any time of the day. We should start something. I should have put in the preamble for this podcast. Every time you hear the phrase intrusive dyke, take a drink. Yeah. Challenge accepted. I I can weave in there a bit. I think we've just (laughs) said it about 10 times in the last like minute and a half. But anyway, so we're going to talk about a few things tonight, but. I don't know. I was thinking that we'd start off the normal way about where you're from and, and how you ended up here. So we'll do that, but we'll do that briefly. Oh, speak of the devil. Got a call coming in on my phone right now from our old boss, Trevor Price. Trevor, if you're listening, this is why I'm not answering your call right now. <laughs> We're just watching the screen. I actually, on this uh, Roadcaster podcast board that we've got, you can actually, there's, uh, you can plug in four microphones and then there's an option to, Bluetooth in a phone, uh, somehow have a phone call in, that other next button to it, and then there's another one where you can kind of plug it into a computer or something. So there's like multiple ways. We probably could get Trev on the Yeah. Yeah, but I'd have to COVID be- safe. Yes. Zoom call. Yes, we on are a podcast. Exactly, pretty much. So but no Trevor, so we're not gonna do that. So we're not on the books tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he's not calling me to be like, I broke down somewhere. <laughs> You're my emergency contact. contact. No, well, he's on a work trip, so he would have someone in the office as his, yeah. as his check-in person with his spot tracker. But anyway, so yeah, let's, uh, we'll stop rambling. Um, this is what happens when you get two friends together. <laughs> we just talk. Very important stuff. Yeah. Very important stuff. I'll cut out all the gaps between oh, and stuff. Don't so worry. Do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you hear the bubbles? <laughs> I just told Claire I would cut all this stuff out. <laughs> I'm not going to cut You're that out. Cut that out. I'm not. You need to. You need to. <laughs> We're not releasing this episode until Claire secured her next permanent government contract. So <laughs> yeah. it doesn't Cutting matter. No. Anyway, where where do you come from, Claire? You're not a Kununurra native. No, I hail from the southwest corner of WA in the Wheat Belt, um, down near Wajin and Dumbuyung, so traditionally a sheep and wheat farming area, quite a nice productive area down there, fairly safe country. What do you mean by safe country? Oh, pretty reliable seasons, rainfall. Obviously, there's fluctuations in there, but when you're talking extremes like the Pilbara, the Kimberley, the Gascoigne, the southwest of WA, the extremes are not as huge as up here, so... I, when I go back down there, regard it as there is fluctuations and they do make or break seasons, but they sort of are, I think, overall are a bit kinder than some of the seasonal changes up here that I've experienced. All right. And so how does a wheat and sheep girl, so Wajin, very well known for the Wajin Woolarama, so how does a wool cocky like you end up in the cattle industry up north? Really, the location of Kununurra drew us up here. I guess it's a combination of that. And I had done some work experience up in, oh, it was Mandora, Mandora's Pilbara or Kimberley. 
Kimberley. Kimberley. Just West Kimberley. So there's Mandora next to it is Wallau and Wallau is the border. Wallau and Pardu is yeah. where the border of Tick the- line. The tick line as mm. well. Yeah, so I did work experience at Mandora with Pump and Pole Edmonds and loved it. And so what, what were you doing work experience for? For my uni degree, I did animal science at Murdoch and took it more livestock based. You can take it. You can sort of study in different directions. My passion was for livestock. I was like, it's animal science. Where else are you going to go? Or I guess vet. Vet entry is a big area. You can do some, I suppose, there's uh, environmental sort of conservation way, different pathways. Mine was livestock right from the start. And I really just wanted to get experience everywhere. So I did. I went and found my own placements, called in favours of people that I didn't know, but other people knew. And I did it, went to a dairy down south, a piggery, and then up on the station at Mandora and loved it. So we know Pump and Pole very well on this podcast. Um, amazing family. Love them to bits. Tell us about your time. Like when was it and what was it like at Mandora? So they're not at Mandora anymore. They sold out and went to Hooley in the, um, Central Pilbara, and very sadly, Pump passed away last year. But we've still got Pole and all the other um, family around there, the Edmonds and the Depledges, and they're—I mean, you know as well as I do—we're just looking at each other. We're getting like the warm and fuzzies. We love that family, um, all the all the families that have come together. And now Jane, who is the other half of Central Station, they actually Jane and her husband actually bought Mandora off Pump and Pole, so it's still kind of like stayed not in the family, but sort of like a family and. Anyway, it is a, it is a vast geographic area, the Kimberley and Pilbara, but it's a relatively small industry and that, yes. those sorts of stories are great and they're all around up here. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about your time there. So I think recalling it was 2010. So it was just after Cyclone Yazzie had gone through and the eye of the cyclone had gone over Mandora. So they were doing a lot of work getting their infrastructure back up and going again. So we, I I think recalling went there in late June. So, you know, supposed to be dry season. Um, they had a muster planned. And when I got there, they got like four inches of rain, unseasonal. I so didn't did know you at the time. So, you in June? Yeah. So, four inches, 100 mils in June. Yeah, I think recalling. Um, yeah, but they had, had this unseasonal rain. Before we got there and then it dried up a bit and then while we were there, so I did head off fishing broom for a little while, but I just got a taste there, got a taste of the passion of family-run enterprises and got introduced to that side of the, that side of the Kimberley, uh, the, yep, yep, Kimberley. And yeah, really just thought this is amazing and there's more up here and then Myself and my husband holidayed in Kununurra a few times and got to know some people and got to see behind the scenes here and yeah, really just discover what's up here in the in the East Kimberley. And I managed without too much my husband knowing, kind of said, you know, if a job that is in my field comes up, I'll apply. And it did and I got it. So we moved up north and we've been here for four years now. So before we get to your time in Kununurra, I just want to jump back to Mandora and ask you, what is the standout memory of being there? Like when you think back to your, that time at Mandora, what what comes to mind? I suppose it's the responsibility and 
the freedom and the ingenuity that comes with running a pastoral station. Like I'd come from down south where our whole farm probably fit in their front paddock and Pump and Pole said one day, take the Land Cruiser, head out, follow this fence line, turn right, you'll find a, you'll find a tank and you'll find some electric fence there. They were doing cell grazing at that time and they even said the cows will be in this corner at this time. And so I went up there, checked the fences were all still good. It was probably really just to keep me busy, but for me to go up and see that and see that you can do what I thought was an intensive style of farming, the rotational cell grazing or that sort of concept up there on these beautiful, uh, not coastal plains, but yeah, marine plains. Marine plains was just amazing. And to see the cattle, they had sort of drought master type cattle and it was, yeah, it was amazing and it got under my skin and then they were really into low stress stock handling and even bringing in wieners from like a paddock around the house to come into the yards. I just couldn't believe the education and the low-stress stock handling that they were using and that they taught me the two-step, two steps forward, one step back, take the pressure off. That sort of thing blew my mind. I just thought these were wild cattle up in the Kimberley. But here are these people, Pete or Pump and Pole, really humble, hardworking people, that have some really amazing practices in place that have these beautiful cattle that I just thought surely this is everywhere and it should be sought after around the world. And I just think people need to know about that because it's the complete opposite of if you go back to not long after that when the live export sort of fiasco happened. It just really didn't represent what the rest of the world thought and probably what I naively thought going up there. I was just, yeah, so amazed that you can finesse and you can know your margins and you can know your genetics and all this sort of amazing stuff. Yeah, that family had been there since the 40s and they, the legacy like the cattle, oh, what a beautiful herd. <laughs> really cool to see. All right, so you, you had your time at Mandoran that gave you a taste of station life in the Kimberley, but you went back down and you didn't come straight back up after uni. You ended up back with the little short four-legged woolly creatures. Yeah, so I went back down and I did do my stock person's accreditation through Life Corp to go on oh, board vessels. Yeah, I did it before. It was cool before you. Like, no, what year did you do it? Probably end of 2010 is my oh, guess. Yeah. I did mine like February 2011, I'm pretty mm. sure. So – we Live. might have been at the same course. No. Live at, so yeah, in Perth. At the Trade Winds in Fremantle. Shut up. Yeah. We might have been. Boyd Holden, Tristan. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, surely not. They would have, I would remember you. Sure. And well, we went out to like. Yeah, but I mean, they, lot, they take everyone to that. that road. Yeah, that like Mundi Jong or. Mm, Mundi Jong Road. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they take everyone there though. Yeah, but while we were there, while I was doing it, that was when the live export ban came on. No. So I actually, no, I did it before the live export ban because I remember a friend did it when I lived in Queensland in 2010 and I couldn't make that. So it would have been the start of 2011 because then I met Boyd and then Boyd allowed me to come up to Yarry Station with him when he was putting on a livestock handling school. Mm. And we were at Yarry when the ban happened because Annabelle, yes. Annabelle had cattle at the port and I had no idea. And 
what was going on. I remember like um before we went up there, Boyd had called me like we're getting ready to get on the plane or whatever. He's like, oh, yeah, there's going to be something on TV time. I was like, oh, cool. Like, I know I didn't realise. I was like, oh, cool, something about Carol on TV. Yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah, maybe I was just before you. Yeah. But we might have been in the same. It's a bit blurry. That but I did be- that and then live export ban came into into action. I did not agree with it, but didn't understand it at the time. So in terms of a fledgling career straight out of uni, I was like, I need to pivot. (laughs) And in 2011, I started work with a sheep abattoir down south. I started as a trainee supervisor there and then very quickly um, moved roles and was the quality assurance manager, so one of the senior staff there. And we exported to over 64 countries annually and I was just amazed that, um, you know, the the lamb or the mutton that people produce, maybe send to sale yards or sell direct to the abattoir, was exported around to the premium markets around the world and was a sought-after commodity. And I was there, for, I think, for five years and it was an amazing step in my career. Loved it. Really humble, hardworking people working within the abattoir. I uh, worked with universities, a lot of technology coming in, a lot of technology already utilised. Yeah, it was amazing. Not what people usually say when they think about working at abattoirs. Abattoirs, yeah. So I spent a, f- a fair bit of time on the kill floor in my last year at uni for a research project. Um, so when you're doing quality – wait, did you say you're the manager of quality assurance? Yeah. Yeah, so are you having to go around – I guess you, we, there's AQUIS or Australian Quarantine Inspection Service – in every abattoir and many other areas or parts of the supply chain around the country, there those government inspectors there doing inspection like meat and random checks and auditing and stuff. So what was your role then? Yeah, so they had to be there and they certify and allow you to get your export registration and maintain it. You have to maintain uh, like Australian standards as well. And then because we were exporting to so many different countries, we had a lot of additional protocols and requirements in place. So we had to have an auditable system to meet all those protocols, all those requirements to export to those countries. And we'd often host people from those countries to come back and audit us to validate that we were meeting all their requirements. Let's switch gears now and bring you from sheep land, from the land of dead sheep to the land of live cattle. Very, very live cattle up here. A lot more up here too. Claire's just like, wow, that's an unusual analogy, the look on your face. This is what I come up with on the spot, you know. Anyway, uh, what was the job that you had in Kununurra that brought you and your husband all the way up here? Yeah, so I got a job as livestock inspector working for Deep Herd up here in the biosecurity pillar. And that I was along with another amazing person, Min, who a lot of people listening to this podcast will probably know. Min Andrews, if you're listening. Oh, I was going to ri- say rhymes with Smin Smandrews, but you've just outed her. Yeah, so yeah. So I came up to work with Min. How as- many Mins do people know? <laughs> Min Andrews, she'll be on the podcast sometime in 2022. Definitely. She has some She'll be listening to this being like, wait, a lot what? of knowledge. Yeah. A lot of knowledge. I learned so much from her. So I came up to work with Min as a livestock inspector, and we were responsible for imports and exports of livestock through the border at Kununurra. Okay. So I understand a little bit of this. I kind of – and I only had to touch on it in my role a little bit, but I've learned most of it from you. Um, 
what I do understand is that WA is known, like we are, I guess people, well, it's quite fitting that in COVID times we are like hard border and like Mark McGowan's like, we're not letting anyone in and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is actually not new for WA. We're kind of like this with everything when it comes to biosecurity. And Yeah, there- during tourist season up here, you only have to ask a few tourists coming in to the territory. They get the once over of their vehicle and come in from all the, the contents. Eh? Sorry, yeah, coming in from the territory into WA, you know. They get the once over their vehicle and their content in the vehicle to make sure everything's um, compliant. And same with livestock. And I guess I didn't probably realise the extent of it when I took the job, but um, WA is free of bovine yoni's disease and in most areas free of liver fluke. So we actually have trade advantages because we're free of these um, diseases and parasites. And that's probably why our border requirements are so strict. We're, I think, yeah, probably the strictest state to come in. I don't have knowledge no, around I'm all of Australia, sure. but that's what I We're always the, got told. Yeah, <laughs> like people complain and, yeah, it is a bit of a headache at times, but looking at the difference, so it's not just with livestock but anything to do with like – um, so yeah, like fruit and veg yeah, fresh produce, yeah, and then what, what you can grow in here and stuff. But when it comes to livestock disease and weeds and whatnot, like we are, we ain't got nothing on Queensland and the territory. Like you cross the border and you're just like, whoa, yeah. it's like a whole different. I mean, obviously there's still a bit because borders are only like invisible to an yes, extent. Yes, uh, so stuff still does travel. Like the weeds not going to get to the border and go, oh. I can't jump across and grow here, like to an extent, but the stopping of the spread and, and it's quite We train noticeable. our cows really well. They know where the state borders are and know not to walk across it, you see? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just thinking of COVID times last year. There's some stations that oh, cross over both borders and just trying to get that around people's heads in government or in like the police department. And because it was really hard when COVID happened for people say that live in the territory but they're near a service down in Kununurra and obviously when we shut the border down, people are like, but wait. Oh, there was a station. There's a station in yeah, There's WA. a couple of stations that are down one of the highways. So you go out of WA into the territory to get access to them. But then when you turn off the main highway, you go back into WA on this other road. So you're actually technically in WA, but to get there, you have to go out yeah, so of that's WA. Like, that's like Spring Creek. So to get yeah, a few from down Spring there. Creek to Kununurra, you actually have to go into the Territory and then come back into WA, yeah. even though the whole station itself is in WA. And, oh, the headaches for yeah. those poor people during COVID. All right. So this is what I want to talk about now. And it's great because you did this job for a, f- a few years and you spent a lot of time with people who'd done it for a fair few years before that. So this is our chance to get like the layman's version of – of understanding that and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people like listening in because uh, it can be a bit of a headache to you know there's different rules between all the different states they've all got different relationships so let's talk about bringing animals into WA and we'll talk about letting stuff go out afterwards because I guess when stuff goes out that really is not so much our rules but whatever state they're going into we it's kind yeah of, that's right yeah. yeah okay so what is I'm guessing well, I'm not guessing, guys. I'm just trying to, you know, make sure that I'm asking the questions so people who don't know are following along and we're not just slipping into jargon and talking like we know it all. Um, but I'm not guessing. I know there is a piece of legislation that you're working under. Yeah. So the act that we work under is the Biosecurity and Agricultural or Agriculture Management Act 2007. So and BAM Act also for BAM Act. Yeah, or BAMA. 
and that's our major piece of legislation. So I guess disclaimer, I haven't been working in this role for a few years, so, you know, don't go importing livestock saying Claire told you this. Yes, yes. So we will put disclaimers <laughs> at the beginning of this. this episode is for educational purposes yeah, only. Just to get some knowledge. You always, always, well, before you import, export anything, you have to go. Depot has a lot of information on their website. You call your local stocky or stock inspector because you never know things may have changed. Claire is just giving us the broad stroke so that people who are not involved in industry can understand yeah, there are sort of what's going on. Yeah, so also we, we, you know, we're up in a tick area here in northern Australia, right across NT Queensland. But as soon as you head south of a certain line, ticks aren't there. So we do, we do have tick implications too, and there's different resistant strains. So I guess if we, you want to bring cattle in, um, from the NT and certain parts of the NT is probably quite simple because we're quite close to the border, but we need three days notice minimum. And I know you book your trucks more than three days out, everybody, agents included, so you can ring the stocky and tell them three days out. That step gets missed. But that was part of the fun of it, I suppose, too. Getting a call at six o'clock at night, be like, oh, we've got a truck coming in three hours. Yeah, we've got 18 decks. That's three road trains waiting at the border. (laughs) Anyway, so you fill out an LB1, which is your main form and has all your your background information for us. And then we can start to go down the decision-making tree of do they need health treatments to come in? They definitely... In most cases, we'll need some sort of Yoni's um, test or Yoni's certification, um, JBAS they call it, to come in. Um, obviously, NLIS, there's a lot of things we look at. But if you start by filling in your LB1 form, you'll get an idea of the information we need and you will get to the border. They'll call us. You'll give them, well, the truck, you'll give them the documents and they'll come straight into our quarantine yards at Kununurra. So... When you cross the border from the Territory into WA, we've got the checkpoint where like your tourists and your regular motor cars have to stop and that's where they're checking you for your fruit and veg. But it's actually a, f- a little ways in on the – is it on the other side of Kununurra? No, it's on the-, the way in. Yep, on the edge of town. So the border might be like 40 k's out and then our yards are about 2 k's out of Kununurra. Okay, so yeah, so about forty something case from the border. Mm-hmm. So the trucks have to go there. They oh, can't yeah, direct it under a legal notice to go straight yeah. there. So if they just kind of slide on through town or head somewhere else, it's big no no, not big allowed. Big no no. And same with anybody bringing in any horses, horses as well or livestock. Yep, any kind of livestock. And I guess domestic, the it, to a degree, isn't for us obviously, but um, DBCA, which is another another department, biosecurity, conservation and attractions, they do. Domestic animals, because I guess you come into the realm of birds and things that could establish here in WA. But we do livestock. So okay. horses, mostly up here, horses and cattle. I guess down south you have the likes of sheep, not so much pig, but maybe pigs. So for the purpose of this discussion, we'll stick with horses and cattle. So if you want to bring horses and cattle into WA, you need three days' notice. You ring up the biosecurity officer, let them know. They'll tell you what, you know, you give them your LB1. They'll tell you if you need any other paperwork or health certificates or anything. They come to the border. They are directed. They have to go to the quarantine yards. And that's where a biosecurity officer will come and inspect them. And if necessary, apply treatments like running them through a, a dip or, or oh, putting we give a- drenches and we inspect there. So we inspect all the cattle. Yeah, I guess that's that this is our main, main procedure is we inspect the cattle. We do. We do check for ticks. 
we might give an oral drench. Um, we read NLIS and we we make sure we cited them on the NLIS system and in terms of traceability, which seemed out there maybe 10 years ago, but in the world of COVID, we're really just almost scanning them in on that app. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has to scan The safe WA safe app. app. No. So we check the NLIS. We give them a rest. Usually two is a big part of it. If they've been traveling a fair way, so they give a rest, they get watered. Yeah, so then we'd load the cows back up and send them out. And I guess in terms of horses, we'd have them coming in for lots of different reasons. Um, same thing, in tech, inspecting for weed seeds and, and then giving health treatments, um, checking brands and things like that. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. You get to see a lot of different sorts of stock. Um, a lot of people are very passionate about the animals they're bringing in. So it's really – you meet a lot of good people and hear a lot of good stories. I think that's one thing you might not think of as a layperson that you're inspecting the livestock for weed seed because you think, oh, I'm going to make sure they're not diseased or this or that. But like you said, you've got to check. If they've come out of an area that has a weed that we don't have in WA, they can either have ingested it and be come over to WA, poop mm-hmm. it out, then it grows, or be carrying it in their hooves or on their coat mm-hmm. and go to their new home and, again, disperse the seed. And Yeah. I've felt some matted tails looking for burr and things like that in my time. Yeah, so we'd see a lot of different types of stock and I have definitely felt a lot of matted, dreadlocked bird tails bird sounds like the animal but oh, i mean burr seeded tails so um we would remove those i even had to inspect and i guess it was a pretty hands-on process was to check for weed seeds in camels these camels came from shepparton i think in victoria and they were coming all the way up and around a very long trip to get to Broome to take people for sunset rides on Cable Beach. So that was pretty cool. That was actually filmed for a TV show. I think it was called Extreme Animal Transport. Oh, I feel like they actually – I remember – this, this was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they were going to film Tom and Annabelle Curtin at some point as well, like yes. hauling their horses across yeah. the north. Yeah, we uh, yeah worked with them a bit, obviously, because they do their annual come trips around, mostly signing certification, but, yeah, also inspecting, yeah. Now, while this is a government job and everybody loves, you know, the Slim Dusty song and to kind of poke fun at government workers uh, for working, you know, well, not even their nine to five, but whatever, this job was a bit different because cattle aren't just transported across the border nine to five, Monday to Friday. They're transported whenever, you know, if there's a sail on, a boat on, whatever, um, you know, they're not just like, oh, it's almost five o'clock. We better stop at the border and wait until Monday morning on a Friday afternoon. That's right. So you have yeah. to work weekends, nights, like obviously not all the yeah, time. Yeah, there's an but- on- on-call component. Um, and it wasn't shift work. Obviously, we did most of our work during normal business hours. But, yeah, it's the nature of the beast. And I know I would much rather be out there before it gets hot working in the yards. And I think cattle are the same. Why would we wait till 9 a.m. till we could, cl- you know? clock on as normal business hours so we did most of our work in the cool of the morning and the evening and yeah we had a lot of consignments that would come in in the cool of the night because a lot of cattle have traveled a long way especially when we're thinking about stud animals and bringing some really forward-thinking genetics up here there's a lot of investment that way so there's a lot of investment in the logistics of getting them here in the best condition they can too because traveling affects the sperm count of bulls. So really? you don't want to import them in straight away to just sort of do your two weeks quarantine or whatever you do on your own station, your own due diligence. You want them a couple of months. I think it's about a six to eight week 
lag time on their sperm count. So you want them in there relaxed before you put them out with the ladies, especially if they're expensive pretty bulls. That is very interesting. Mm. And it's cool if you think it's quite a stressful process for them really and they're coming, the Kimberley is a long way from everywhere. So, yeah. Yes, it really is. Now, you just said you'd seen, so obviously cattle, horses, and you said camels. What mm-hmm. other animals have come across? Or what other, I suppose, unique experiences have you had? Yeah, we get racehorses every year coming in for the Kununurra Race Carnival and, of course, the Broom Race Carnival. So that's pretty interesting. Try and get the little tips of good races and who to put bets on. And I don't see a whole lot of correlation between the inside the inside note and actual winning horses. But, yeah, that's amazing. Some of those horses have come over, you know, and and I guess this is common in racing circles, but it was a new exposure for me, but they might have been bred in Hong Kong and come over and they're racing up here in the Kimberley. Like it's amazing to think there's a, yeah, pretty elite athletes coming to the Kimberley. So that was pretty cool. Um, I was there in the time with some pretty big changes on pastoral um, leases up here, a lot of corporates buying in, and we had a big investment in some Wagyu genetics across the across up here. So we, I was there to see a lot of Wagyu heifers be brought in to be run up here in the Kimberley and Pilbara. So that was, again, some pretty oh, expensive Those would have been cattle. those like Lake Nash heifers. Yeah, I wasn't yeah, going to, you know, say who was doing what. No, oh, oh, well, Lake Nash is in the territory, so we don't yeah. have to – we're not saying where they're going but in yeah. WA, but they're, also it's not that hard. There's really only a yeah, handful. Yeah, true. But, but yeah, you no, know, well, people listening, you got well, to get no, them thinking too. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll give Lake Nash Connect a little plug because they've got beautiful cattle and – Amazing. And, and the concept pastoral, of it. Georgina Pastoral Company, if you're listening, I'd love to have anyone on the podcast, please. And the concept Hughes of family, hello. Wagyu. Thousands of Wagyu up here in the Kimberley and Pilbara was just so, yeah, crazy but amazing. So we got to see that. Um, obviously, time of year, Fitzroy Bull Crossing is actually on. This week, this, this Friday, week. the yeah, bull Friday. sale, which so, will give away the date that we're recording this because this episode won't be out for a long time. But I always look forward to seeing those cows come across. Bulls? Um, oh, sorry, those bulls come yeah. across. Um, They're definitely boys. See what's on there and I guess if you think – we're 2021 now. Queensland went through some pretty dry seasons before in the f- previous few years before this podcast. So um, those bulls still came across in amazing condition when you think about the tough times they went through over there. But I, I love seeing them come through. They're so well backgrounded. They're gentlemen. They've been travelling thousands of kilometres on and off these bulls before they get here to the Fitzroy Bull Crossing, Fitzroy Crossing Bull Sale, and they are still gentlemen through the yards. Amazing to handle, really cool. So I liked seeing that. We would also get um, cattle coming in to go into different domestic supply chains here, so to go to different abattoirs within WA, and some of those cattle might have just been mustered in, probably not handled much at all, so we'd get the the rail jumpers, of course. That's me jumping rails and then them jumping after me too, but I know that was – we'd get a bit of those, but they – are pretty good to load <laughs> once you can get them running, I suppose. <laughs> Straight back onto that truck. Yeah, yeah. Now, so you said earlier that when they get across the border and they get into your quarantine yards, generally there's some sort of treatment. I know from my end and being in the broom office with, uh, we had stock in, a stock inspector there that sometimes or often for both cattle and horses, so they may have a treatment when they cross the border, but then there's a follow up period whether it be weeks or months later, depending on what's going on to 
Like yeah. it's kind of like when you get COVID vaccine, you've got to get that booster shot or yeah, anything. So this is that is probably the liver fluke treatment, and mm-hmm. it's you get you give two treatments, both for horses and cattle, and it's usually just to make sure you've disrupted the life cycle. There weren't any latent eggs or things like that still being harbored within the animal. So I guess there is or was the option for the first treatment to happen by a vet before they get to WA. And then we could give them the second, but you, the most common is that we'd give the first drench here at Kununurra and then the follow-up treatment, if they needed a follow-up treatment, would be usually, yeah, in Broome or a vet's closer by. And you didn't always just work in Kununurra. So I guess that's what made it a cool job is so you had your, your regular working hours but then this on-call aspect and there was a fair bit of travel involved as well. Yeah. We'll talk about your time out at Ruby Plains and then we'll get to the NAMPS project as well. So what took you out to Ruby Plains? Yeah, is- so we've been talking very heavily about importing livestock into WA um, and when you're moving livestock within WA, intrastate, so within the state movement. There's a tick line, as we were talking about before. So if cows were going south of that line, they would need to be treated for tick and inspected and certified clean and clear of tick. And the same if you're exporting them out of WA south of the tick line. Okay, so if we're taking cattle from the Kimberley, like East Kimberley, so definitely within the tick area, sending them down to Perth or the Gascoigne or whatever, they have to be dipped inspected yep, at the south. Yep. If you're taking cattle from the East Kimberley to, say, the Catherine region, which is also within the tick area, do they need to be dipped? Nah. No. We say tick, that's tick infected to yeah, tick Yeah, so they go tick to tick. Mm-hmm. And then, but if you are taking cattle from the East Kimberley, say, or the, anywhere in the Kimberley, to the Territory or Queensland outside of the tick area, so they have to be dipped yeah, and so, inspected. So that's what yep. you would have to travel down to Ruby Plains to do because that's Yeah, so they go close. down the Tanami. Yeah. Yeah, so we'd go to Ruby, we would inspect and clear dip their cattle and they'd go down the Tanami into the Territory. Yeah, and so this wasn't just Ruby's cattle though. It's no. they, they had a yard that people yeah, I guess they had. And- yeah, they had service agreements with other other stations in the area. So that's pretty cool because how far is Ruby from Kununurra? I'd say 400 k's as a guess, 350 to Halls Creek and then go maybe 60 k's down the, you know, out of Halls Creek and down the Tanami. That's a guess. But it was an amazing trip and I loved doing it. And you would, people in here would know Merv and Jenny pretty well and they're amazing people. And again, they run this really inspirational, of- tight ship. And yeah, it was really good and such a learning process. And then you also got to travel out to a number of other cattle stations for one of my favourite jobs, uh, which we'll get to in a moment, but collecting blood. Tell yeah. us about that. Doesn't sound You're a little vampire. Yeah, I love it. Well, I guess you just really the, if the anyone's had their of learning blood it. collected at what do they call, like uh, clinopath Flo- or bottomists. Yeah, but you know, like clinic yeah. path is like, you know, if you need to go get a, if your doctor's like go, test, yeah. you walk out the doctor's office and go like the next door building and the lady puts a little like strap on your arm. Tourniquet, yeah. Yeah. So you're like that. But yeah, but I don't tourniquet. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways you can bleed cattle. And I think um, probably they're fit for purpose in that Kimberley cattle probably preclude a lot of those different types of bleeding because you're not getting all up and close in their grill because they're not overly handled like other sorts of cattle would be. So we would put them in the crush, in a head crush, and then bleed from the artery, which has escaped me the name of it, but it runs. Oh, the coccygeal vein. Coccygeal vein. You taught me that. Underneath the, underneath the tail. Yeah. So 
for all the listeners, I taught Steph how to bleed. Well, myself and the vet in Broome. Yes, Brain I Margaret. had to, I had to be um, so. He taught me and then Claire kind of came and gave me more training. And then I had to be formally assessed and signed off before I was allowed to go do it on my own as a, a, you know, animal ethics part. They want to make sure you're actually competent and you're just going and stabbing cows for the fun of it. So when you think about bleeding a cow, you have them in the head bale and then you're nice and close up in their grill. Sometimes you don't even have them. There were cows that sometimes I didn't yeah. even have, depending on the on the temperament of the cow. Sometimes you would need their head restraint mm, to calm them down, and sometimes didn't help. They would just right. be in there, and you'd kind of put in that little back door so they had a little bit less space to move back. They could still couldn't shuffle be, around though. Kick you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they can't kick you. Yeah. So and most then, people would just go in, find the vein. You you put your syringe at a ninety degree angle to the tail, so you make this nice T shape in between the vertebrae. Is where you get this lovely access, and you can get in there and you collect your vials of blood. Yeah, you put that blood. little vacuum in, in it. Yeah, and if you have a good day, it'll just go. You get this like nice fill up nice straight away. Pressure, yeah, and if you're having a crap day, it might just drip, drip, drip in, and you have to gently maneuver it around, and then you might hit it and it'll fill up real fast. And other times, you're there praying that the cow's not moving too fast, so it doesn't and take st- four million years. And to- Steph would say. Thank you very much. Namaste. When she finished, and peace I just and couldn't love. peace and love. Namaste, and I thought, oh my god, yeah. And she invented her own form of yoga. She would get the tail up on one shoulder. She'd do almost like a tree pose on one leg, tuck another leg up on her on herself, not the cow's leg. But some very inventive poses to get a good visual of where she needed to put the put the. Syringe, which I think, if you would like, she could put some photos up of. Yeah, I definitely made sure we captured those. I'd forgotten about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah. And I'd the, be like, thank you, and like pat them on the bum, and um, namaste, peace and love. And like, I was just thinking, these station cattle don't want your peace and love. They just want to get back out in the paddock with their mates. <laughs> I just think sometimes, though, that the language we use around animals whether or not they pick up on it, obviously not the words, but the tone. And I also think it just impacts your own mind and your own attitude. So if you're always there like cussing at cattle or, you know, calling them, you know, not nice names, you kind of develop this mindset that I guess you stop I feel like people would stop respecting the cattle and they just get a bit more like, whatever. You know, they walk in there, it's oh you old tart, come on, get out of here, Ira. And I like to walk into our bag, hello boys and girls, let's go. And it just keeps me happy and hopefully that makes them happier and yeah, I don't know. I, it might be a bit woo woo for some people. Theory. But I picked up. I had not um, come across that theory until I'd worked in the yards with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wanted to do like my masters on it, but it just wasn't a. I always wanted to uh, also do some research on like if you played music in the yards, like whether it was classical music or punk. Like, what would the like heart rate of the cattle be? And yeah. like, is there something that would keep them more calm? You know, you could probably still do that. Yeah. Sometimes I do wonder, I play a lot of murder podcasts in the car and I'm like, is my dog low-key freaked out? Like, or does he prefer when I listen to life on car? God forbid I talk about a podcast and like they come on with like a a naughty story, like sex story. I like turn it off. I'm like, Cash, don't listen to that. <laughs> don't listen. Innocent. He yeah. is. He is so innocent. Uh, but yeah, so what were you collecting the blood for in, we'll talk about your, that bit, and then we'll talk about when you joined the dark side. Yeah. So initially- I would go out to stations in East Kimberley, a couple here that participate in the National Arbovirus Monitoring Program. So we would collect bloods from the or samples from identified cattle a couple of times over a season, so before the wet season, 
and then after the wet season, several times after the wet season in the following dry, just to see if they'd been exposed to the blue tongue virus, which is an insect-borne arbovirus that we it is present up here in northern Australia. So we are just monitoring for presence of it and if they had antibodies. So that's where I started, where I learned how to bleed. So that was when you're working for the biosecurity pillar of DPIRD, and then you came across to the Dream Team, the Northern Beef Development Team, which is myself. Trevor Price was our manager. Uh, he was supposed to record his podcast last night, and he dodged that one. But also our other teammate was Mariah Morn, and I think she's episode 21. She's fairly early on in the podcast series, so make sure you go back and catch hers if you haven't. So we've almost got all the MBD team on here. Uh, so we were an extension, research and extension pillar, I guess, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, working with pastoralists. What made you want to leave this, you know, kind of wild – you know, life of road trips and, and cattle and all sorts of animals and you never know what's coming across – well, coming around the corner but coming across the border, yeah, yeah. really, uh, I, to come I and work with us. It was Aside just from a- the opportunity to work with me. <laughs> if I'd known that, maybe. No. <laughs> I think it was just – I think it, for me, had I known I was working with you, it might have been a little bit different, but I, it was the next step for me from working with bringing these cattle in and you just see them at one snapshot to – then I could go work with these stations and these, you know, I guess transporters and agents that once they were in the Kimberley, then I had this background in, in some business and livestock production. So I understood the things that were happening up here and I just, this job or the position became vacant in East Kimberley and I felt like I was sinking my teeth into the East Kimberley and yeah, just really wanted to work alongside pastoralists and learn from them more and also help convey some of the some of the information that was happening like out of Queensland and the NT they've got some amazing research and trials and some of that's applicable up here to the Kimberley and it's just you know there's a conduit there like in that extension role that we did I also liked that offered research so we can continue doing bleeds and things like that yeah it was just the next step and a bit more versatile and another challenge I suppose and then you got to meet me Mm. <laughs> yes, yes. And Claire's like, yes. And three years later, I got forced into a podcast. <laughs> uh, the podcast didn't exist when I started that job. No. So yeah. you never would have seen it coming. That's right. I, I won't talk about our jobs too much. They, so in theory, as you said, we were a conduit between industry research. Um, yeah, really between like the research and ex- um, part of industry and uh, not re- not service providers because we're government, but like just a conduit to be uh, to help pastoralists be like, hey, there's you know this this research has been done, or this is what people are finding. Hey, this mm-hmm. is a trial that's coming up, or hey, we want to do some, uh, you know, either do some research or, or um, trial this stuff. Do you want to be involved and maybe put on a few workshops and just be that conduit? Like we, yeah, and there were grants out there. You yeah, know, we had a grant program oh, and I'm a big believer in. I know, I know there's a stigma with grants, but I also think now I'm on the other side of it. I also think there's money there and someone's going to get it. So if you have an idea or you have a concept, it can often help springboard you off maybe more into a commercial sense where you would have started niche and small or just try something you've been thinking about. I know like up here or in the Kimberley, early weaning is this, you know, it's not a new concept, but it's something that's being rolled out a lot more common up here. And some people have the ability to roll it out across their station and it's really good, you know, 
season, you know, can be really helpful in tougher seasons. But yeah, we gave, you know, there was funding for people to actually get out there and give it a go that had organically come to that conclusion and identified that would really help their, you know, their enterprise. And I, yeah, I loved it. They'd got to that idea and they knew it was going to help them and we gave them some money to really enable it to happen. And there were some tough seasons that it probably really saved a lot of their cattle to early wean and really helped their weaners. So that's just one example of, I know, you know, extension is a buzzword, but yeah, where you can actually use funding and programs like that to really benefit. And I think, yeah, the stigma of grants, I think, can put some people off. Yeah. I think it's just being smart about it. Like with our grant program, I think the takeaway was is that there was an opportunity to get a grant um, and really trial something with somebody else's money, like at the end of the day. So, I mean, that's what it was. We, that was, it was to try and, uh, foster innovation and, and a little bit of risk taking to say, Hey, here's some money. Try something new where there's some people like, so maybe say you'd wanted to tie, um, so say maybe you'd wanted to try telemetry. So, you know, water monitoring telemetry systems mm-hmm. or you'd wanted to trial, um, I don't know, anything, but imagine if you like, you know, and you, but you kind of on the fence because you're like, oh, if I sink my own money, it doesn't work out. Yeah, de risk so hugely. Yeah. So mm. have fun playing with someone yeah. else's money. Yeah. I guess to an extent. And it was really cool seeing how diverse what people did yeah. with that money and yeah. how they used it. And yeah. Now one bit. So the, what we got to spend the most time together on was the phosphorus. Uh, challenge, so mm-hmm. MLAP challenge, which actually didn't run this year, unfortunately, but it ran 2019 and 2020. Mm-hmm. My favourite whole part, hands down, of my job. Um, so tell us about the phosphorus challenge. Yeah, so we sort of in, I think it was 2019, it was a pilot program. MLA had introduced it and we had some sites here in WA to help roll it out and we would go collect sam- blood samples from cattle and it would be testing the plasma in organic phosphorus levels in their blood. So it was really just a reflection. We'd go out after the wet season or right just after the wet season as soon as we could get out there um, and testing that level in their blood to see if they were phosphorus deficient. We were just checking the correlation, I guess, of that level with their phosphorus status and turns out it's a pretty good um, indication of if your phosphorus supplementation is effective or not if you're not if you're not supplementing whether you need to supplement so it was really cool to get out there and the not so cool part was probably driving around with you and thinking I was going to die but yeah we didn't we'll uh, we'll, we'll get to that in, in one moment so if you if that was a very broad strokes uh, and obviously this is a more of a fun podcast not an educational one so broad stroke if you want broad strokes. So if you want to know more about uh, phosphorus supplementation, I've actually done two episodes on it on our other podcast, mm. The Cattle Station Classroom. And one of those was with Jeff Neath, who like invented the P challenge. Yeah, the godfather. Yes. He, he kind of is actually. He's got the brows so for it. So much knowledge. And our, one of our biggest mentors, like he's like our, yeah, Uncle Jeff. Um, he was really generous with his knowledge and his time. For and us. yeah, yeah. Whether it was phone call, he came over here in person. Would send him articles, and he'd send him back with like track changes and stuff. He just anyway. And so even uh, I recorded podcasts with him when I worked for Deepard, and then when I left and started the Cattle Station Classroom podcast, I you know this is again that podcast is free. I don't make any money from it. I didn't pay him to be on it. He just did it out of the goodness of his heart. So mm. if you're listening, Jeff. 
bless. Um, but so coming back to your favorite part of your job is that you got to go road trip. Well, not road tripping. We were working, but down through the Pilbara mm-hmm. while you were sort of supervising me bleeding. Um, and also when you're doing big, big kilometers and stuff like that, it can also be safer to travel in pairs or not safer if Steph's driving, but yes. Was I driving when we got that flat tire? For a fair while before you realised. No, yes. that is not true. <laughs> it is. That it is, is not true. So we must have come from, <laughs> yeah, so we were somewhere in the Marble Bar region. I was going to say names of stations, but I was like, oh, we probably shouldn't name the participants in the research project. I'm sure they wouldn't mind, but also just it's part of the project confidentiality. So uh, even though we don't, yeah. Yeah, so I think we'd left Broome. We're in the Marble Bar area heading down and through that region and yeah, we'd had a flat tire for a fair while. I I, we had not. You were being so dramatic. Mm, shredded. It was not shredded. Nothing left powder. <laughs> Such a lie. <laughs> That's a good story. I know. It wasn't Doesn't. that flash, but yeah. We had and I tire. changed it, thank you very much. Yeah. In my Japanese safety boots. Yeah. You took pictures of that. Yeah, I think also, did you? I feel like you might have, if I had like a plumber's situation going on. I feel like you took a picture of that. I have got that photo I can release. Well, that's okay because I've got Snapchats of Claire when we'd pulled over. I'm pretty sure it was on the Great Northern Highway somewhere. I want to say around like Sandfire or whatever. Maybe, yeah, somewhere and we pulled over and you had to go pee and I was Snapchatting you. I didn't actually Snapchat you peeing, but I Snapchat you, remember? I'm pretty sure that'd be in my Snapchat memory somewhere. So I do not remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got to wrap this up. <laughs> Well, we had a good time. So we had lots but of. But that was, yeah, that was, I guess, the hair raising driving moments. I that was a very really good trip. Safe, responsible person who went through a certified four wheel driving course to be able to use government vehicles. Thank you very much. And they passed me. So take it up with them. You're going to cut this bit out. But no, I, I'm not. No, I could talk about the, be- the double beans from Zambrero. Oh. <laughs> I like it. Go idea. on. No, go I'm not on. I forgot about that. So. I have not. Holy shit. Actually, that's probably karma for white cash. So, my dog just, I love him to bits, guys. But when we are road tripping, he knows the difference between like a one hour trip in the car and a 12 hour trip in the car within the first hour. Somehow he can tell. And he just drops his cards like 30 minutes in. I'm like, how did you know that today was a 12-hour drive, not a one-hour drive? Anyway, so, yeah, in Port Hedland, aside from having Dome. Kmart. Kmart. Make sure we stop into Kmart, of course. If you're in the area, I'm like, it would be rude not to. Uh, Zambreros, so Mexican takeaway. And I would – I I had – during that pay challenge trip, I and every time we passed through Port Hedland, I actually filled up one of those, like, little loyalty cards. Like, I'd been there at least ten times. Double serving of refried beans. Did I order a double serving of refried it beans? It is etched in my mind. It's- <laughs> It's not kind, not kind of After you. working at the quarantine yards and having so many cattle and dealing with so much cattle shit on trucks, how is me having a little Mexican food, the bit that scars you? You would have smelled all, all types of things. Look, there's been some infected wounds <laughs> that don't compare to your double refined brains. <laughs> Oh, you cut me deep, Claire. Oh, okay. Well, we're in a closed environment with electric windows. Thank you very much. So, 
But anyway, we had fun. Actually, I'm trying to think of our most fun, like, what – because I feel like there were times where we had to, like, be a little bush. Oh, that's right. Were we down somewhere in the Pilbara and our centrifuge broke? Yes. So, when we collected the blood from cattle, so, like, in little vials, immediately or ideally within certain hours, so they had to go back into, like, a cold esky as soon as you collect them and then say, oh, (laughs) my dog has just peed on your kid's toy truck. That's Harry's Tonka. <laughs> Cash just, which, if he's peed on that kid's Tonka, that means one of the other dogs has peed on it first. Don't go deflecting. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, how many samples? I can't remember how many samples we take, but enough that, yeah, you, you have to put them back in the ice because it would be, you know, by the time you run cows through the yards, collect your bloods, like you might have been there an hour or two or whatever. And then we would go and find the nearest PowerPoint where sometimes we were lucky it was a homestead or – uh, this one was like some random shed somewhere and um that if you didn't balance that centrifuge right, it would like it was like a crazy washing machine just mm. like going So around. centrifuge is spinning at thousands of reps per second to separate the all the components of blood. Yes, because then we would have to centrifuge it and then pull the stuff back out and pip it off. By the- stuff, I think we were getting the plasma. So that separated yeah. the blood cells from the plasma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the clear stuff. And then we would pipette it off and save that. break, yeah. And then that had to be frozen. Mm-hmm. And then we would send that to Queensland for analysis. But, yeah, it did break. Um, but I feel like we had – I don't know. I feel like we'll remember this tomorrow when we stop. But I'm sure there were some moments. I, I mean, the main main memory I have is us – well, obviously, me doing the yoga, you being boring and not doing yoga or telling the cows namaste. Um yeah, there was good cop and bad cop. And yeah. you, you were the namaste cop and I was the... Claire was the very uh, regulatory by security, hello, I'm here to do a service and this I'd is just say Nali. professional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I'm like, hey guys, we bought you some milk and a paper from town. Now can I go say namaste to your cows? Uh, and then, oh, and then some, I do have a video of us singing to the Lion King in the car. So there were some moments. Yeah. It was it sound yeah, it was a great time. Sound- and it was we went to some yeah. Saw some really great cattle in that trip. Is that I know it can almost sound like we're just like, oh government workers <laughs> just having like, you know, fluffing about doing nothing. But sometimes they were like twelve, thirteen hour days. Mm-hmm. Which we got in trouble for because you're guess, not allowed to work that many or drive that many yeah, kilometers. And we in a worked day. in if people were processing cattle that we that needed to be Blend, yeah, yeah, we processed the, with them in order just to work in. Yeah, so. so the cattle had to be, with this research project, cattle could not be bought in specifically for us to collect their bloods. So they had to already be in the yards for another purpose. Mm-hmm. So often they were – we. well, I know there were places where I ended up, you know, working on the race or in the backyards because you'd get there and they were still drafting and didn't have – you know. And also the other thing is like we did this on Saturdays and Sundays as well. So just to kind of dispel some of that oh, – there's don't get me wrong, there's plenty of government dope us out there. We're just not. <laughs> we're just not them. No, and I just recalled we not only collected blood samples, we collected fecal samples yes, too. Yes, that yeah. was fun. So um, we had gloves on, but yet if you were really lucky, the cow to say thank you for collecting blood from her would just poo on you and you could kind of catch it with your hand. If you weren't so lucky, you kind of had to lube up and – Kind of go in as if you were going to practice, but you really didn't need to put that much of your hand in. Just, just to 
Oh God, it sounds terrible. It's a couple of fingers and just collect a little bit of poop and we only need a, a teaspoon. And, and uh, just in background, so then that, because the accepted method of checking, um, phosphorus levels is a soil sample of fecal, dried fecal matter. So we would collect fecal matter just in order to be able to correlate with their blood sample to validate that, that the blood parameter we were checking really did indicate their phosphorus status. So it was yes. important. Which yeah. if you, again, go listen to our episodes, they're not that long, on Cattle Station Classroom, and we go through the three different methods, which is blood samples, fecal samples, and soil samples. So we left that bit up to the producers. Luckily, in the peach challenge, they had to collect their own soil samples, mm-hmm. thank goodness. But, yeah, then we had to collect the poop and dry it out and mix it up together and send that off. So we had a great time. I guess I'm, like, as we're wrapping up, I'm – like, it's great to be nostalgic and go down memory lane, but I'm pretty sad. So neither of us are with NBD anymore. Um, it's kind of like you don't realize it at the time. I feel like this with a lot of things in my life, like the time I lived in America or the time I lived in Queensland or whatever, that it's fun, but it goes by so fast. Like at the time, it felt like it was dragging out so slow. So we had two years together. Um, or I think a year and a half with you because somebody got pregnant and had a baby, whatever. And left the team. Um, but now you're back in Kununurra packing up your house because you've got another job down south. It's like a very exciting new chapter. I'm no longer with MBD. I'm doing something different. Well, hashtag this podcast. Uh, but we'll probably never like do that again, if that makes sense. Mm. Like when are we going to be driving around collecting blood samples and – doing all the fun stuff. Like, I'm not going to lie, I'm getting a little bit sad. I knew moving up here that, yeah, these were the opportunities up here and there are so many opportunities up here. And, yeah, I think we do look back on it fondly. I look back on a lot of it fondly. But I think all all, all phases in life are like that. Yeah. But it's this is part I, of say, Steph, I'm so sad that I'll never get to go with you to Zambreros again. I'm so glad I'll never get to go with you to Zambreros. <laughs> they might sponsor. I don't know. Oh, yeah, Zambreros, if you're listening. <laughs> Zambreros and Matzo's, again, the only two places I'll let you pay in product. <laughs> Keep me fed and watered. We'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, now if you've – I don't know if you're – I'm pretty sure you're not up to date on our podcast episodes, but you're semi-up to date. You'd know I've taken to asking a lot of people at the end of episodes, looking back on your journey so far, and you are all of 20-something years old, so. Oh, that is so nice. Oh, wait, have nice you hit thing 30? you've ever said to me. Keep going. I'll Keep go with 20-something. When did you hit 30? A few years ago. No, I'm older than you, aren't I? No. Really? You're 32. How old are you? You can't cut this out. No, I'm not cutting this out. 20-something. <laughs> anyway, so um, in your in your 20-something years, hashtag 36, <laughs> well, if you're not going to tell me your real age, I'll just assign <laughs> you on. What is the major takeaway lesson that you've learnt so far? Mm. I am up to date in your podcast, but I had not, you know, it's weird, but I had not thought you'd ask me this, but I think – well, there's a lot, but what comes to mind straight away is growing old is a privilege denied to many. I just think pack some adventures into your lifetime. Yeah. 
those are very wise words. And I, I normally finish the episode on this point, but I just really quickly want to touch. We didn't mention anything about you've been a volunteer AMBO for years from down south mm-hmm. to up in Kananara. So I just wanted to give some context that I'm guessing that sort of influenced yeah. that perspective. Yeah, I suppose. And, and, and the people and the stories you come across in life as well. But yes, yeah. I think volunteering for ambulances or St. John is a, yeah, probably not a thing that I thought was a big deal in my life, but I learnt a lot from it. But yeah, also, yeah, a lot of good people's lives are cut short and we're here right now looking back on the good times. So yeah, it is a privilege. Brilliant. So to say that saying again, France, once more, and then I'll let you go. Growing old is a privilege denied to many. I just think pack some adventures into your lifetime. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end agri-industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and or agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and service some of the most remote areas of the Northern Territory. Find out more at CDU. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au, where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station, and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station, True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations. And we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au. And we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.